if you if you have it, you should be flaunting. You should be happy to you look at look at the education I've done. Look at how smart I am, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> I'm a genius. We love dogs. But man, is it hard work sorting through all the misconceptions and misunderstandings that we have about them. It is difficult to know where to turn to for good advice. Hi, I'm Renee Rhodes, the virtual dog training and behavior specialist behind rplusdogs.com. On this show, I talk to other dog professionals and guardians to help you understand your dog better, to do better for them. Think of it as couples counseling, for one. If you are looking to learn more about how to advocate, empower, and help your dog live the best life possible, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Dog Logical. Hi, guys, and welcome to the podcast. Today, we have on the show Bob from Unity Training and Behavior. Bob, did you want to take a moment and introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Renee. So obviously, my name is Bob. I own and operate Unity Training and Behavior in Airdrie, Alberta, right next to Calgary. Um, I'm a Karen Pryor Academy certified training partner, an IAABC accredited dog trainer, and the vice president of the Alberta Force Free Alliance. So tell us a little bit about your kind of history. How did you get into training? Sure. Well, I've, I've grown up with dogs. You know, I'm one of those typical people that grew up with dogs my entire life. Um, and I've always kind of been into like trick training and things like that. I've really enjoyed teaching my dogs to do different tricks. And, you know, one of the first ones I taught a dog was to balance a treat on their nose and, and then catch it. And, um, everybody always thought that one was really, really cool. I moved to Alberta when in 2014 and I left the dog behind. Um, and unfortunately she passed away. Uh, she was pretty old. But when I came to a point where I was ready to get another dog, my fiance and I decided to adopt a dog from a family who had seven kids and two dogs. And when we went to meet him, um, he was already very timid and scared, but you know, I watched a lot of television dog training and I thought I knew what I was doing. And I brought him home and actually things went really, really well for about three months. And then all of a sudden one day he snapped and he started going after other dogs at the dog park and like that. I went to a trainer and he showed me that my dog could be around other dogs. Um, he actually got me off of certain tools, but when I talked to other people about him, apparently I got really, really lucky because apparently he's not very nice. <laughs> um, and then I went to a reactive rover seminar by um, a, a friend, now friend and mentor. Um, and she kind of pointed me in the right direction and got me onto positive reinforcement. And from there, it was just like the deep dive in. And um, my fiance looked at me one day, she says, you're, you're actually really good at this. You should be doing this professionally. And so I started looking for mentorships and apprenticeships and things like that. And uh, yeah, that's the rest is history. So I'm, I'm guessing when you say television um, kind of based training, we're, we're talking about the, the classics kind of, I'm, I'm guessing Cesar Milan in there. Yeah. Did you have anyone else kind of in your, because um, obviously like me being in the UK, we have certain dog trainers that are a bit more prevalent kind of just to this area. So did you have any, any ones that were kind of dedicated towards Canadian followers? No, there, there is one apparently, and he's, 
in this area. He's in the Calgary area, but I've never seen his. Okay. I don't. I don't want to say his name. Yeah. So you have switched from using more aversive methods to using positive reinforcement, and I think you mentioned that that was generally through just being educated on. You know, did you know about those? types of kind of positive reinforcement tools and and methods before or were you absolutely a a novice to them I was well like I said it was just my family dogs that I've been training so when it came to actual professional dog training Caesar was all in um so I I used positive reinforcement and teaching tricks and stuff like that but I didn't know it had a name like it's not a, a term I'd ever heard before punishment was largely in my vocabulary but I've never heard of like positive reinforcement or negative re- positive punishment or negative punishment or anything like that. Yeah, it was very similar for me. I, I often say like I was using positive reinforcement. I didn't even know what it was. I just knew that yeah. that was the way that I wanted to engage with my dogs and, and train my dogs. And um, even growing up with with our dogs and me not knowing, you know, anything kind of about it, it we never, I think the most we did was like yell at, at the dogs. That was really it. We never did the kind of classic, like, you know, rubbing the nose if they had an accident or um, even as far as tools and stuff. I have a video, um, not a video, sorry, a picture of me from when I was probably about 11 or 12 and I'm standing next to a dog who has a a harness on and even looking at old pictures and stuff, most of our dogs had harnesses and it wasn't not to say they didn't have collars and stuff, but you know, things like choke chains and stuff. We just never, we never just really had the experience of using them, let alone buying them. So I think sometimes you do get you do get lucky growing up, you know, if you haven't been exposed to that and and have animals very similar to like parenting styles. If, you know, if you have some parents that maybe are a little bit more positive versus, you know, punishing types or rigid, you know, regimental, you might grow up goes either way, I think, but you might grow up using that kind of parental style, both with your children or, you know, potentially with your dogs. Yeah. And one of my earliest memories actually is, um, when I was five, it was my fifth birthday. My cousin got me a black lab puppy. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and he was like my heart dog, you know, like he was, he, I'd, I'd sleep on him in the living room. Like I'd use him as a pillow and he wouldn't he refused to move until I actually kind of, kind of dog. Um, but when we first got him, I remember me and my dad walking down the street with the dog and, and, you know, being a puppy, he ran out to the end of the leash to go smell something or whatever it was he wanted to do. And my dad timed it perfectly. So as soon as that leash got tight or as it was on its way to getting tight, he pulled back on it and he flipped the, the dog onto his back. Um, oh, wow. And that was not on a, on a harness. That was all around the dogs. Um, so, yeah, we did a lot of that kind of stuff. A lot of rubbing those and pee and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I, I grew up with a, a very punishment based method of dog training. Um, you know, any kind, any kind of behavior modification you wanted to do was, was, um, positive reinforcement was essentially just for tricks. Yeah. That is, um, and now, I mean, what do you, like with your dad, with that experience, has he taken on your understanding of training or has he, has he remained the same? (laughs) Um, I think he's trying to be a little open. Um, I did the Facebook live the other day and as I was finishing up, I saw him, he left a comment and said, thank you. Um, so that that's exciting, yeah. but there's a lot of things that I've like, his dog is terribly afraid of thunder and he doesn't sleep well at night. Um, you know, he's worked night shifts his whole life and now going, he's not working shifts anymore. So sleeping at night doesn't work. And then sleeping the day doesn't work. So 
when it storms at night, the dog sleeps on his head. And of course, then he doesn't sleep at all. Um, so I've tried to tell him, you know, like, go to your vet, get some meds, you know, do, do what you need to do to, to help the dog so that you can sleep. And he refuses. Even that small kind of thank you, that, that small little, you know, light at the tunnel where you're like, wow, you might have absorbed something from even just yeah. engaging in that, in that live. Yeah, I hope so. I, I used to um, play in bands and stuff like that when I was growing up too. And he was always there. He was always super supportive of that kind of stuff. So I kind of feel like that was like, he's just there to support me, but hopefully he picks something up along the way. So you actually mentioned uh, the Karen Pryor Academy. So tell us, how did you make that leap when you you went through your journey of having the dog, getting in a a trainer when you couldn't handle things based on your your television uh, education, and then you led up with somebody who was your, now is like a mentor for you? Yeah, um, she she lives a couple of hours away. Um, But when she went to, when she presented the seminar, um, she spoke about her own dog, who I related with a lot. Like I related with her, her journey of, of how, because I, I was, I did have Ryder on a prong collar at one point, And I remember very specifically, there was one particular dog that he went after. And it was like a little French bulldog like that. And Ryder's about 50. So he's quite a bit larger than a Frenchie. And, you know, I, I ran over to the broke, broke him up, got him off of him. And I actually like got, put him on the leash and hooked him up to his prong collar and like, um, I, I picked him up off his front with the leash and, um, and I think I walked him out of the park with, um, so it was, was not a very pleasant experience for him, but this other lady that was presenting the seminar, she explained her story, which was very, very similar. And unfortunately if she'd had her dog for a lot longer and did a lot of the same kind of training, um, it was to the point where she had to use welding gloves to handle her dog. Wow. Um, and then similarly to me, she got, she met another trainer who was all positive reinforcement and kind of taught her another way. And she went home and, and burned all, you know, all her e-collars and, and shock car and prong collars and all her Caesar Milan stuff and all that kind of stuff. Um, she had a fire through it all in and has never looked back since. Um, she lives a couple of hours away from me. So mentor as in you know if I have questions or if I need help with a, a case or something like that she's always there yeah um she's been super fantastic helpful throughout the the whole thing um but I did reach out to another trainer at one point to just give me I, I pretty much knew what I was doing but I wasn't experienced um so I reached out to another trainer to help me with Brider, um a positive reinforcement trainer and she had on her website that she was doing apprenticeships so I asked her and she said, well, first thing you need to do is get into some sort of program. Mm. Um, just just to show me that you're you're in it. And so I did the Karen Pryor Dog Trainer Comprehensive, which is the step down from professional. Um, and it's basically the entire same program minus the, the business section. And you don't get out with the, the letters behind. Um, so I did that and went through this apprenticeship with her. Uh, helped out in a lot of like puppy classes like that. And met up with another trainer who was a little closer to me, a little more local, and uh, started volunteering in her classes and things like that. And eventually I did sign up for the the full KP program. And now I have the letters. (laughs) (laughs) So it was really, I'm really glad that you mentioned that about her, you know, saying to you that you, you needed to show that, that kind of show of dedication that you were, you were actually going to be involved because I know personally, I get contacted by people all the time and I will give them lots of resources and, you know, sometimes they do. Um, 
and sometimes they don't. So they're just like, no, I just want you to just teach me your way. And it's like, but that's my way is no secret. Like I'm not, you know, it's no secret sauce. Like I didn't concoct this by myself. So I'm, I'm really glad that, you know, you were told that because that's, that's kind of the, the idea, right? Is we do have some people who say, no, come and learn my method, come learn from me. And we don't really have that universal learning experience because I think it is, it's important to have mentors and to have, you know, professionals in the field that we can, you know, bounce ideas off of. But again, it's, it's nothing where it's like the secret sauce or, you know, you have to learn my specific way of, of training. That is very, very good. And obviously from that you grew and you wanted to do more and learn more. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm a little bit of a different mind um, than you on that kind of stuff, because, you know, if, if someone came to me and said, Hey, look, I want to learn, um, they might just be starting out on their knee, right? And they, if I said, Hey, look, you need to go do this thousand dollar program or even $250 program that might put them off a little bit. Um, and you know, maybe they don't go through it and then they never get to actually learn from me. But if I took them on and said, yeah, Hey, like come help out in my classes or whatever, and I can teach them a little bit, it might fan the fire or fan the spark and turn it into a fire. And from there, they can go on into the other programs and stuff, right? Oh, no, I don't mean people who, if somebody's close to me, I've had people come and watch my classes. I've had people participate, you know, as like an assistant, or even like if I'm doing a session, I will say to them, sure, come in. If you have a dog and your dog is, is, you know, non-reactive or, you know, something you can help me. I do stuff like that if they're close to me, but if people aren't close to me, I'm kind of limited to what I can offer. So I will provide them. And again, I agree. Like, you know, if I send somebody a link and that, that course is a big chunk of money, I'm, that's not what I'm, I'm just going to say, like, read this book. (laughs) (laughs) you know, download this thing or even a resource. So no, I completely, I completely appreciate what you're saying. That's I, maybe I miss, um, like most spoke on that. Um, no, 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 I'm just I, I, some I, kind I, it of, might've been me that misunderstood. No, 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 it's fine. Um, but no, just something in the right direction. You know what I mean? Yeah. So where did you, where did you go from there? So Karen Pryor Academy, and then you did the step up one. Yeah. So I did the, the dog trainer comprehensive, which is a thousand dollar course. Um, it covers all the same material as the the professional program where you actually get the certification. Um, and then from there, I did the the full program um, and and got my actual, I'm, I'm a Karen Pryor Academy certified training partner. Um, from there, I went on to do the, the accredited dog trainer test, if you want to put it. It's like an equivalent of the CPD through the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants. Um, Except instead of a 300 multiple choice questions, it's like five pages long and short answer. Um, And from there, my next goal is to get into the companion animal science. Yeah, that's what I've been looking at as well. I, I have this kind of, I look at all different kinds of courses. I have like a FOMO of courses. Like someone's doing a course and I'm like, <laughs> like, can I get information on that? Um, it's I know a- I, I missed out on Clicker Expo this year and I was just like so upset. I was watching everybody else watch it on Instagram and I was just feeling, I had to stay off Instagram for that weekend. Yeah, no, same here. Um, but I, I have done so many different conferences that I was like, oh, I'm, you know, it, and they're not cheap. I mean, there's a lot of information, but they're, I don't think people realize, like when I say like, you know, I can't work this weekend cause I'm, you know, I'm not scheduling clients this weekend cause I'm, I'm going quote unquote to a conference. 
I want to absorb all of that. Like I've paid a lot of money for it. Um, (laughs) It is a very, you know, immersive learning experience. (laughs) But yeah, no, same. And I was like, oh, should I, shouldn't I? I've spent a lot on education this year. Yeah, me too. A lot of people don't um, don't understand how much we put into our continuing education. Not even the fact that, you know, like Karen Pryor Academy with the two courses alone cost me nearly 10 grand. You know, we're talking about qualifications. And I think that's something that sometimes gets left off the agenda when we're looking for a professional. I know looking at social media or websites, just even profiles on different professionals, and I'm using the professional term loosely here, you know, there is a divide in that about me section. So I tend to find that some professionals who maybe um, adhere to more of the positive reinforcement side, their profiles are full of educational background. And then when we see other trainers, they tend to have a following or they have experience in having a dog or um, there's some kind of correlation between they didn't succeed or they were unable to do their original plan. Therefore, dogs was like a plan B. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, so for myself, um, on my my website, I have it, you know, it is right up front on my, my landing page without my qualifications. And then it's also in the about me. And I have links going. So where it says, um, Bob is a Karen Pryor Academy certified training partner. You can click on the Karen Pryor Academy thing and it's going to take you to their website. Um, or where it says I'm an accredited dog trainer through the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants. You can click on that to the IWBC website. Um, same thing with the the Force Free, the Alberta Force Free Alliance thing. So Bob is vice president of the Alberta Force Free Alliance. Click that into their website. Um, there is a local trainer here who is balanced. Um, and he's got it on his website that he is a certified professional dog trainer. Um, not the acronym. It's not CPDTKA or KSA or anything like that, which stands for knowledge assessed or knowledge and skills assessed. But he says he's a certified professional dog trainer. I know the only program he has gone through is uh, PetSmart, like a two-week PetSmart course. Um, so he hasn't put that? He hasn't put exactly where he's certified from? It just literally says, I am? Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of misleading information in, in those kinds of people websites and stuff is what I've found. Um, or it says that they have degrees and then certifications, but it doesn't say from where. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. Um, it's really hard to talk about this because I don't I, I think people think it's a um like it's like that you're struggling in business or you're like, you're jaded about it, right? Like there's something that you, you just don't want people going to that person because you want them to come to you. And it's, so it's hard sometimes to talk about it because I know from my standpoint, like that's, I don't care. Like, I don't care who you go to. Um, I just want you to go to somebody who knows what they're doing. Um, somebody qualified. Yeah. I'm yeah. the same way. Yeah. So there, there, there are many trainers out there that are far better than me. Go to them if you want. I don't care, yeah. <laughs> but don't go, don't go to the guy who's labeled himself as a certified professional doctor and has not been on the actual program. Yeah. It's hard. But for me, it's like hard to talk about. Cause I don't want to be, I don't, Again, I don't want it to seem like I'm like, you know, elitist or anything like that, but there's so many other professions where if you didn't see that, you would go, what the, you know, like, 
who's this guy think he is? But in dog training, you're like, oh no, you know what? He wanted to be a um, basketball coach and he didn't make it. And now he works with dog. Oh, that seems fine. I'll just, you know, hire him. It's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, basketball yeah. and dog training are definitely the same. Well, you know, work. <laughs> uh, that's all I got. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes there's balls involved in both. Exactly, exactly. We're finding, you know, strings to to relation all the time. I find it just mind boggling. I really just don't understand. Because again, if you're looking, maybe you were looking for someone like even just a, you know, a therapist, really, or not even that just someone to come and maybe do work on your house. You're going to look for someone who is like certified, who is educated, um, has good, you know, recommendations, isn't using dodgy methods, all these things that run along the same line. But the difference is, is that we're dealing with a being who has emotions and it can really be messed up from not utilizing appropriate methods and techniques. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I'm also a journeyman welder. So I, I've a, I'm a Red Seal fully ticketed welder. Um, and even that on its own for my industry is generally not. Um, basically being a journeyman welder means that you have a license to test. So every job you go to, they're going to you know, test your skills. You need to have a couple of extra certifications on top of that. Um, there's different um, certifications for different kind of welding. And so if I was working on like pressure vessels or pipes or something like that, uh, underground pipelines, um, there's a different ticket for that. If you want to do structural welding, there's a different ticket for that. And every single job you go to, you need to test beforehand. So the, the fact that there's zero um, testing or regulations or certifications in dog training is baffles me because like you said, there is, it's a life in your hands, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, I, there's lots of things that I know nothing about and I wouldn't mess with, you know, some of them are life-threatening things. Like I wouldn't mess with my car, you know, to a certain extent because I need my car. And if something happened to it, you know, I would, especially if you're, you know, a, a fundamental part of it, but at the same time, you know, if I, if I mess up my car, somebody can come out and just fix it. Like, you know, there's no detriment necessarily to my, to my car. If I unplug something accidentally, or if I, you know, put something in the wrong way, whereas, you know, there are things that you can do with dogs, which seem innocuous, you know, maybe that is the right thing to do, which can really, really mess them up and takes a lot of time to build trust or undo. Yeah. Um, so like I said before, when I got Ryder, he was definitely shy and fearful. Um, and you, you know, when you adopt a dog, there is always that adjustment period where they're not being themselves. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of right around that three month mark that he started that, that flip, that switch flipped in his head. Um, but the whole time I had been using color on him. So I'm always kind of like, I don't want to say it was me that messed him up, but it's always in the back of my head that maybe it was. Right? Yeah. It's hard to know, isn't it? Because I mean, there might've been things even before you, he came to you that, you know, were so detrimental that they did, or potentially, I, I mean, it's hard because when dogs are new to you and they've had all these, these previous experiences, like you said, they, they have that settle in period where you're, you know, they might be kind of exhibiting behaviors. And I've seen it lots of times where the dog was so sweet, so, you know, kind and calm. And, and then one day it's like, 
wow, who is this dog? <laughs> like the dog yeah. has just done something. And the person's like, I don't understand what happened. And it's like, but it may not have even been you. It may not have been anything to do with you. It could be something from, you know, a historic issue that now is starting to come up. So it's so difficult to, to unpick those kind of things. Yeah. And there's not really much like whatever's happened in the past. It's not like we can go back and fix that. We can only move forward. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. You do find, I mean, I find that with some clients, they get very fixated on that. Like if they could only figure out what had happened, that would be the magic, you know, key to, to unlocking things. And it's like, it just doesn't even matter. Like at this point whatsoever, even if we knew, and some, some clients I do know, I know exactly what's happened. Um, and even still, it makes absolutely no difference. Yeah, it, it's like, like I said, it, it's in the past. Who was it? The Lion King. It's in the past, right? <laughs> oh, I just got an idea for a meme. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I want credit. You can. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I don't need credit. No, it's fine. Credit where credit's due. So, you know, qualifications, yes. I think definitely when you are looking for your next professional, that is something that should just be given really like, you know, that should be where you're, if, if somebody, and that's another thing for me is like people kind of struggle with, if there isn't something on there for me, if, it's easy for me to say, but for me, if there's no information, no information is also information. Like <laughs> you don't yeah. have it. There's a reason why you don't have it. Uh, if, if you, if you have it, you should be flaunting. You should be happy to you look at, look at the education I've done. Look at how smart I am. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a genius. Yeah. I'm a dog genius. Hire me. Um, <laughs> what would you say when people are looking for a dog professional? What what should be on that checklist? Um, so experience is, is a big one, right? Like just because someone has certifications doesn't mean that they're they actually know what they're doing. Um, you know, some hands-on experience is, is essential. Um, those certifications of, of some sort, some kind of education and positive reinforcement training. Um, I might look for, you know, a list of tools that they use. So um, whether it's clickers or harnesses, leashes, things like that. Um, and, and when you contact a trainer, you can always ask them these things. You don't need to hire them before you figure this out. Even if they don't have it on their website, contact them and reach out and say, hey, what, what kind of tools do you use um, classic is, you know, what happens if my dog gets it wrong? What, what's going to happen to my dog, right? Um, what happens when they get it right? Things like that. Uh, and the answer should always be when, when they get it wrong, nothing. Like we're, we're going to take a step back and reevaluate our training because that was our mistake if he got it right. And if he gets it right, he's going to be positively reinforced. We're going to reward him or reinforce him somehow. Yeah. It's always hard for me, those questions, because I see those where people say, you know, what happens if my dog gets it right? What happens if my, if my dog gets it wrong? And for me, sometimes I struggle with that previously because some people, again, based on their previous history, if that's what they think is appropriate and they say, what happens if my dog gets it wrong? And then the person says, yeah, we're going to correct him. Like for them, that would be like, oh, okay. Yeah. And, the, but that's why we do podcasts like this, right? Is it hopefully spread that kind of information so that viewers or listeners are going to have that little bit of extra education. You know, this is going to get posted on social media. And maybe it'll, maybe it'll get quoted if I'm lucky, but probably not. Um, there's always, and we can, there's always <laughs> quotes. Yeah. And we can try and spread a little bit of that information, even if it's to one extra person. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the goal, can, isn't it? Because it's education so, is the most, when you're trying to induce change, it's education. And I'm very much a why person. So if somebody says to me, 
oh, that's, you, you don't want to do that like that, or um, you shouldn't be doing something. I, my automatic response is always why, because I want to know, yes, okay, fine. That's your opinion at this point, but give me the data, give me the research because I need to see that. And I'm very open as a person to changing my mind about things. Like I've said before, if lots of research comes out where prong collars actually do give dogs confidence, I'm going to start using prong collars. You know, if the science is supporting it and it is actually, you know, all the words that are used like confidence and thrive and uh, communicate all these, you know, fantastic kind of words. If the science supports it, I would be using it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would, I, I'd hate to say that, yeah, I would actually use these because I have such a, a conditioned emotional response, let's say to these tools. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, if it was actually going to help dogs in a positive manner, then absolutely. I think I would. Yeah, it's strange saying that, isn't it? Like, it's strange. Yeah, it is. <laughs> like, yes, I would use the prong. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> it hurts every fiber of my being. And if that's what's happening, then that's what's happening. But that's the part that most people miss is that the science says no. You know, that's borderline, dare I say it, abuse. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh... It, it, it's hard to see. And it, my, like, like you said, my brain just, I can't wrap it around all these. Just like you said, they, they think it's confidence and it's the right, right way to do things. But I, I don't even <laughs> speechless. I, I almost want to equate it to like flat earth. Oh, no. right? like there's, there's so many people out there that are just like, no problems are great. Chalk colors are great. Now all I can think in my head is flat earth, flat earth. Right. But yeah. <laughs> So what would you say the best guidance for people if, if they're looking for their dog professional, what is like an absolute no for you? Just what right off the bat? Um, e-collar dealers. There, there are a lot of trainers who sell um, prongs and e-collars. Um, if, if that's what they do, you know, they're, they're sponsored or they're getting paid somehow for using those tools. So they're going to want every single client on one. Um, you know, the, the word I've seen it in a couple of positive reinforcement based trainers, um, balanced or, or like, and I always look at those websites. Oh, why are you choosing that word? I know you're a good trainer, but often balance is another one. That's just like, I, I'm not even your website. Um, you know, um, things like your dog needs to know what they can't or, you, you know, it, it's okay to tell your dog. No, is generally a, a red flag. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because, um, I don't even like using the word balanced in day to day. Like when I'm explaining something to somebody. Um, so I'll try to use another word like equilibrium or even like, I'm just like, it's so aversive to me to say the word balanced and to make it, to normalize it. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's my own weird thing. I actually looked it up um, a while ago. I looked up a bunch of different um, meanings for it in, in like music. There's, um, you know, balance is how much is on one side, like how much audio is coming out of one set of speakers or your left side of your headphones compared to the other side, right? And for them to be balanced, it should be split 50. Um, you know, you can, you can balance an engine, like a car engine or a motorcycle engine so that they're the, the, all the different pistons are firing at the right time. Um, but nowhere did I ever find anything about dog training and, and, you know, for most balanced trainers, they say they, they use all the quadrants. And for them to actually be 
balanced from the definition, um, they should be, you know, using them equally. So the 25% positive reinforcement, 25% negative reinforcement, 25% positive punishment, 25% negative punishment. But I doubt that's the case for anybody. Right. So it's how how balanced is it really? Well, it's funny because I've been told lots of times from various various people um, that balance training is 90% positive reinforcement and and 10%. Um, I suppose positive, positive punishment, or maybe I don't know, negative punishment. I'm not sure which one they're referring to, but that it's 90% positive reinforcement. And I'm like, but a dog wears a prong collar pretty much 100% of the time, or the e collar 100% of the time. You know, yeah. like we don't go, okay, this is the part where we're going to do, you know, the dog's constantly wearing that tool. So how could it even be that those, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm no mathematician, but that, that doesn't really add up. Yeah. <laughs> um... And, and, you know, for you to use the, the prong collar or the shock collar effectively, you need to have them on leash or have that remote in your hand at all times too, right? So that's, there's always going to be a little bit of, it, it's there and, and I don't know, it just, it doesn't seem balanced to me at all. Maybe it's one of the, I mean, I don't know how the, how the term kind of came around actually, but you know how sometimes we're called, um, uh, purely positive that's it purely and it's positive, like yeah. yeah and that's a derogatory term which i hardly ever you know recall and i definitely don't really use um but maybe it was that i mean i i don't know do you know the origin of of balanced like how it came about to have them called that i feel like i've i read about it somewhere but i can't remember what it is yeah. I wonder if it was one of those, like, you know, forming to be some kind of derogatory term and it's just been kind of taken on positively, but I don't know what else you would kind of call it because to me, there's like, there's punitive and then there's balanced and then there's positive. So like, that's the three kind of, for me, categories. Coercive. Yeah. Coercive. Yeah. I, I, I call it coercive. Because you're right. The balance there was a great article. I think it's a Zazie Todd article where it says like, um, imbalance training, the balance is off because it is. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. Like I, I actually made a post about it. It was on my personal Facebook and I put it on. I can't, I wish I could remember and find it again because I, I thought I had some pretty, pretty awesome points in there. <laughs> if I do say so myself, Yeah. <laughs> you should try to find it. Yeah. I'll try. I'll see if I can find it. Maybe I'll send it off to you. I also think on the back of that, when, when you were saying before about, you know, where is, where is that certification or education from? Because they, I have seen, I don't know if you get those ads there, but there's this ad that keeps popping up annoyingly from something like uh, the center for learning, or I don't know, they, it's kind of those ones that encompass all different types of learning fields. And there's this one that says it's, you know, reduced down, thankfully. So it's available to many, many people, but a pet psychology diploma, which is reduced down from like, I don't know, a hundred and something pounds to maybe like 25 pounds. And legitimately, I have had people message me to say, hey, I was looking at qualifications and stuff. Is this a suitable one? And I'm like, no, no, no. Here are a list of ones that, you know, you want to go for because it is right. Like 25 pounds. That's like, wow, that's a steal. So I think, yeah, equally, if there are certifications, like you said, with the person who doesn't actually identify where it's from, even if it is identified where it's from, like go and look that up because the center for learning or whatever it is, is kind of like just a blanket, I suppose, for all different types of, of learning resources. I mean, they cover everything from, I don't know, you know, making felt 
wild animals to um, <laughs> you know, educating educating animals. So it all it all encompasses. You can make your felt animals and then practice your your training skills on. Potentially, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> For me, learning is something I actually thoroughly enjoy. Yeah. Um, it's, it's it's actually kind of funny. In high school, I was the worst student. You know, I, I showed up to half of my classes and, and most of the time I wasn't in any kind of particular shape to be there. Uh, I did graduate high school, though I did, did all right. And then once I got into my 20s, started getting out in the workforce, and I actually found out that I really enjoyed learning. And it's something I do for fun now. Like I have, I have textbooks that I just read for fun. <laughs> but it's hard, right? When you're in high school, like you have, you're, you're a teenager, like your hormones, just like those adolescent dogs, like yeah. you're not able to make, I remember taking a, um, a test, I think it was ninth grade. So when you first enter high school and I, I think you're like 13 or 14, maybe at the time. And this is a, a test that you take to see what your future profession should be so that you can start at that age, at that point to take classes to reach that profession. And I think mine was like a city planner. I mean, I could not imagine myself being a city planner right now. <laughs> I mean, I played a lot of Sims, but like I can't imagine being a city planner. So yeah, at that time- There's, there's balls in basketball and balls in dining. Yeah, exactly. so, the Sims is identical to city planning. Yeah. But I mean, that's a really difficult time. So I, I can completely, I mean, I was a bit of a nerd and I always have been a little bit of a nerd, but I struggled because I just found it really boring. There were some things I was really interested in, but for me, it went too slow. Like I just, I would read the books before, you know, the class would be done with them because you read like a chapter and then we talk about it and a chapter and we talk about, and I was like, I'm reading the whole thing. Like I would drift off during class. Like I really, and I did pretty well. I had really good grades in most subjects, but I just really struggled. Like, I don't, I mean, if this is a different topic, but I mean, I just don't think maybe the high school kind of, or even school in general, it's kind of like a one size fits all. But when you get older and you're able to make these decisions and all of your hormones and your life kind of experiences have leveled out, it makes, it makes the world of a difference. Our, our brains actually don't stop developing 25. Yeah. So to, to tell a child in grade nine at 13 years old that you're picking your your life's goal at that age is just like right I remember feeling that pressure okay so would you say getting back to the subject at hand um would you say that there's anything else that you would add maybe as a something to avoid or something to maybe definitely be looking out for um I not nothing I can think of on the top of my head I, I feel like you're prodding for something but I can't think of what it should be. No, God, no. Like, <laughs> no <okay. laughs> I think we it doesn't feel like that. Sorry. It's not an inquisition. Like you, <laughs> you have passed. Um, <laughs> no, I just, I'm interested. Cause I mean, I have my kind of, um, I have mine. So like I've done memes about it before and like what you should look for. For me, it's also tools. So if, if I, cause sometimes they did like things are disjointed, right? Like you look at somebody's page and they have all the words and they, you know, the, the, it sounds good. It feels good. I've actually had clients um, who that has happened to them where they've, they've done their research and they thought, yes, you know, I'm looking for, and everything feels good at the time. And then the person arrives and they're like, what? Who are you? Like, you are not associated to anything that I read about you. Um, so I think 
even going that step further, if you're not looking at the person on maybe social media, and it's difficult again, because you don't really know necessarily what you're looking for. And even sometimes I know I have been misled in the fact that I've started following someone or I've seen a cute picture of a dog and, you know, I'm scrolling my feed and then bam, there's like a a prong collar. And I'm like, whoa, how did that happen? So I usually say to people is, you know, yes, look at the websites, look, look at the kind of language, look at for all those, you know, qualifications and um, memberships and education sources, and then go and look if they don't have any photos or video or any kind of media, go and look to see if they have social media and look at what those dogs are doing in those pictures and videos. Because if there's any kind of, um, if it's disjointed in any sort of way and what you're physically seeing isn't what you thought you should be seeing, then that to me is, no, that's that's a red flag. Because I've also seen things where people have said, um, only use positive reinforcement. And then I go and look at their pictures and I'm like, that dog's on collar. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, and that for me, I remember the first time I saw it, um, I was, I was like, so, so I thought I have this wrong. Like, did I read that? That was positive. It it literally said positive reinforcement only. And that to me, that's just relying on consumer ignorance, right? Yeah. Um, Because people like me and you, and even apparently that trainer, well, I hope he knows what he's talking about and is just assuming that people don't. But if he thinks that's positive enforcement, that's wrong. not be dog training. But most people don't know what, like even myself, before I got into dog training, like I said, I'd never heard the positive. Um, so for me to hire a dog trainer and they say, yeah, I only use positive reinforcement. Okay, that's great. Fantastic. I don't even know what that is. But train my dog. Right? Yeah. No, I completely agree. So I think what I try to focus on is more tools. If you see this tool, this is a no. If you see this tool, we're we're probably on to, it's like being a detective, right? It's like, we're probably onto a good one, but let's keep looking. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, there are tools that I, I adamantly do not use in my training. And that's kind of a lot, a lot of like colleagues and, you know, I've seen stuff that you have as well, like that you just don't see those tools point blank. And I think the only other thing I would add to what you have said, um, and this has just come to me is trusting your gut. Cause that's something that a lot of people don't, don't necessarily do. So if yeah. it feels wrong and you're like, mm, don't just don't do it. If the tool looks or feels like it's going to cause any kind of pain, harm, discomfort, even if it's tried like, on if it, like a rolled up towel, right? You know, there's, yeah. there's that whole thing there not too long ago, a year or so ago, where the, the one guy was hitting another dog with a rolled up towel and it, it's a towel. Is it really going to hurt? Well, it, it did its job. It stopped the dog from doing whatever the dog was doing. So it must not have felt. And I think if we're talking about the same one, that dog made an audible response. It sure like, did. That was, and you know what? Unfortunately, I have seen someone recently, I thought it was just a one-off thing. I've seen someone recently um, on social media using that again. And I was like, what, where did this, I didn't know anything about them like more than a year ago. No idea. So even that took me by complete surprise, (laughs) but yeah, that's a, that is a very fair point. Like if it looks like it's uncomfortable, because the other thing is people put them on right to help you normalize seeing that. And like, it doesn't hurt. I put it on myself. It's like, but hand the end of that leash to someone else. And let's see if that's, you know, cause that's not just the part of normalizing the way it looks. It's like the dog has no control of when that is implemented. So you can wear it all you want, 
but that's still it's out of it's out of context yeah i actually made a post not too long ago i made a meme about it it was um even even if shock collars don't hurt dogs think about when you were a kid and you had you know you had that younger sibling or something that would you know rub their feet across the carpet to come up behind you and give you a little static shock just you right? saying that brings me like I can <laughs> feel it. Oh well, and and it didn't doesn't really hurt, right? Like yeah. it doesn't cause a lot of pain, but you know that that younger sibling gets a, a kick out of it, and they're doing it, and then just sneaking up behind you and giving you that little shock, right? The anxiety that is enough to to really like it'll wreck your week, <laughs> right? Until the point where you need to yell and scream at your your younger brother or sister or whatever and tell them that this is actually not cool. It's not funny. It's it's bothering you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually, um, I've never told anybody, but I actually bought a, I bought two. I bought one, um, it broke. So I bought a Jeep one because I wasn't going to spend a lot on it. But um, I bought a, I bought a, a vibration, a shock collar. So the first one was a shock collar and um, I wanted to... <laughs> I wanted to test it out on my boyfriend because I wanted to see what it was like. So um, he was a willing participant, by the way. So like, this wasn't just like, while he was sleeping, I snapped it on. Um, <laughs> that sounds fun. Um, <laughs> Although that would be more uh, accurate to what we do to our- Exactly. Yes. That would be a more, kind of, <laughs> yeah, more accurate setup with that. Um, but no, he volunteered and I was like, okay. Cause I was not prepared to do it to myself. Cause I'm just such a wuss. Um, so <laughs> And he, he had it on his arm to start. We, so we did try it and, you know, he acclimatized to it. So even when it was at its highest peak, he was like, you know, that is really uncomfortable, but at the same time, because we had gradually gone up and up and up, um, he had been like, yeah, that's really uncomfortable. But what we also did is um, we tried it at so random times. So wearing it for like 20 minutes or so. And then what I would do is pick a certain, you know, setting. And that is what I would use. And with that option, even at very, very low settings, it was uncomfortable for him. So like the fact that he was not prepared for it even though he knew he was wearing it. And even though he knew that at some point I was going to do it, that was very uncomfortable. And sometimes they were only on very, very low settings. And he was like, oh my God, it it instantly was. And and my my boyfriend's, he's a very strong, stoic man, (laughs) but (laughs) not in this situation. (laughs) So, I mean, even that is more, again, he, he consented to having it on. He knew it was on, he knew it was going to do it but it still was uncomfortable for him at any sort of level. Yeah. And it's, it's not even the, the actual pain that is the problem. It's the emotional um, baggage yeah. it causes, right? Yeah. Um, the, the stress, the anxiety, the, the, the stress hormones that it puts into your brain. Yeah. I mean, he is... was wearing it for like 20 minutes, but like, imagine, you know, and this is the conversation that we had together was like, imagine if that would, you know, if that was just happening, if that was your life, like, you know, at any point I could just go, you know, Scott, do the dishes, <laughs> you know, like yeah. how horrific yeah. would your life be? Well, and even there's, um, I've thankfully never experienced it, but apparently there's in China, they do like Chinese water torture or something like that is what it's called. And they just yeah. sit you in a chair and drip water on your head. Yeah. Right? And, and there's, that can't hurt. Like it can't. Although I, again, I always tell people, I don't know what the dog is feeling. So I don't know what you'd be feeling if that happened to you, or I don't know what the next person would be feeling if it happened to you. But in my mind, having water dripped on your head doesn't hurt. Um, 
but it's still a valid form of torture. Absolutely. Like if, if it wasn't, then they wouldn't use it. Exactly. And it's the same with the tool. I'm getting on my soapbox. It's the same with the tool. Like that's the main thing that I, that boggles my mind in the situation of like people saying that it's thriving and, you know, confidence and all that other kind of stuff is like the fundamental element is if it didn't work to shut down the behavior, you wouldn't use it. You wouldn't need to use it. So like the fact that you're, the fact that it needs to be used, it needs to be on the dog is purely from the point of punishment. Yeah. Or, or negative reinforcement, which is, you know, there's, there's two contingencies happening there. There's a punishment agency and then a reinforcement agency. Yeah. So but um, I mean, it's just that fundamental element of like, it, it's not necessary. Like it just would no. not be necessary. So. Yeah. And I, I always like to just understand how it is a communication device, but I always like to say like, since when do dogs speak in negatively charged electrons, right? Like, cause that, that's all the shock color is, is it, it's a battery that pushes electrons from one prong across the skin into another, and that causes an electric shock. So how do, do dogs understand electricity? Do they know what that, what you're trying to communicate? Yeah. If, if I, if I pee into a turbine and create energy, will my dog behave? <laughs> Don't give him ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to think of if, if you're hiring a dog trainer, um, I like to think of it as, you know, the, whoever's hiring you is an employer. Um, the dog is an employee and the trainer should be like a union, right? Yeah. Um, so the trainer should be coming in and making sure standards and, and safety protocols for that job, quote, in air quotes there, um, are up to par. We need to be making sure that dog that dog's working conditions are satisfactory and that nobody's going to work. We need to make sure that all the safety guards, all the equipment, machinery the dog is running are there and in place. At the same time, we need to make sure that the owner is also getting what they need. There's there's a, a relationship there and it needs to go both ways, but it needs to be safe for everybody. So if, if, you're, if your dog trainer is not coming in with that sort of mentality that we're going to at least maintain the current conditions and we're not going to make it worse um then that's probably not a trainer you should hire you should always be looking for a trainer who's going to improve the conditions for you absolutely i mean something i love to say is um like with all good relationships there's compromise yeah because i mean you i mean if you had a relationship with just even a human person and it was dominated to your desires your wants what actually is that other person getting if if that person has free will which unfortunately our dogs don't they would leave you like it would, it would not be a good relationship to, to have. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. Um, unfortunately, our dogs can't just up and leave. Right? So there, there are many dogs that are trapped in those poor working, you know, the, the safety guards have been from their equipment and they're forced to stick their hand into a machine with a moving blade. That's a hard <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I'm very oh. visual. So like, when you're saying things, I'm like, no puppy, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it is hard to sum it down, isn't it? Because there's so many different variables and it's so, you know, it's, I wish it was easy. I wish it was super, super easy for people because it would just, it would, 
it would save so much anguish and so much, you know, I, I hate, and I don't use the word hate a lot, but I hate when people come to me and they're like, I've worked with so-and-so I've worked with so-and-so, um, you know, this has happened. I did stuff that I, you know, maybe necessarily didn't want to do. I feel awful about it. Um, you know, now my dog doesn't trust me, or even they don't even see that the dog doesn't trust them. They're just worried about the dog, not listening to them. And we're now in a place of detriment rather than, you know, them coming or coming to, doesn't even have to be me again, like them going to a person who uses positive reinforcement and is educated in how to address this dog's behavior. Um, and now we're, we're having to not only help the dog, you know, kind of practice new behaviors and modify their, their behaviors, but we're now having to claw back that trust and, you know, build that relationship before we can even go about really helping the dog to, to learn new behaviors. It's like, I just wish that that didn't happen. Um, so the, the whole employer employee union, um, analogy I, I made up for, one particular client. And since then, I, I just, I thought it was the greatest thing I've come up with before. I'm not super. But. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was, it was really cool to me to come up with that, but this, they, they contacted me for two reasons. First of all, their dog was resource guarding and didn't want to go for walks. Um, so I, I kind of knew right off the bat that there is probably some kind of potentially some health issues and um, trust issues. And we, we nailed the resource guarding right away. Um, it hasn't been a problem since it was like one session the dog. They never come up with it again. I don't know if it actually resolved it or they've just been giving him a space when he has precious items. Um, and that's, I, I just want to interrupt you. That's a very fair point as well, because a lot of times we get, we get some flack for not being, not having a quick turnaround when I have worked with tons of clients and there's been a quick turnaround. So yeah. I'm glad you, you mentioned that aspect. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so the, the first session was, you know, we, we worked on a couple of little hand targeting things. Second session, we did the resource guarding and then COVID hit. And around January or so, sorry, second wave. So around January or so, they reached out. Buddies being a, um, they, they refer to him as demon dog and things like this, right? And I did send them to a vet. Um, the vet bill came back clean. Um, and so they, they were really adamant to do in-person sessions. I can't. I actually kept because here there's, there's fines. If I got cockled into their house or something like that, I'd get a thousand. Um, so eventually I did finally get them onto a virtual console. We started talking. They were, they were actually like, they weren't being mean or harsh to their dog or anything at all, but they had, you know, had issues with groomers and vets and things like that. So their groomer said, you know, bring them here once a week and we're going to hang out. We're going to condition him or whatever word they use to, to enjoy it here. And, and it just kept getting worse and worse. And it just turned out that they were forcing him to do things that he didn't want. And um, I, I actually worked really hard to teach these people that you need to build your dog's trust back up because you've degraded it that much. Like the dog wouldn't even work for cheese and things like that. Wouldn't work with the people for like these really high value treats because just like, what do I need to do with you? But I can't leave. Right? So, no, absolutely. And, I mean, your analogy is great. Like if you haven't already created some kind of meme out of that, I definitely would look at doing that because- it, it is, you know, it, it, it is exactly as you have said. And I think when we use analogies, especially with people, it helps them make that connection. Like I will tell, you know, I'm really bad on the spot like analogies <laughs> again, basketball player. Oh, um, but, um, <laughs> but when I have used them, you know, even in when I'm creating a post or, you know, a blog or something like that, and people have been like, that's like, 
excellent way of explaining it, but it just helps make that connection because we feel so separate from our dogs, you know, not to hark back to the Caesar Milan, but um, there was a webinar that I watched and I cannot remember who it was by, but it was talking about um, exclusive language. You know, the language that he was using separates us from our dogs, like us, them, them, they, like, you know, all of that terminology is, it separates us and it makes us feel in some ways superior and in other ways, like we have nothing in common. And when we start building those bridges back towards us understanding that, you know what, we have a lot more in common with dogs than we think we do. It really helps people who may be struggling to make that connection and say, oh, I never really thought about it like that before. So I think your analogy is great. And, you know, I've, I haven't seen it before. So if you haven't done it, I, I definitely would do it. I, I did make a post out of it and it's not as pretty as yours are. You're, you're, you, like you said, you have that graphic design background and I'm not very creative. So mine are not super pretty, but they get the point across. We can talk about that after the, um, after the podcast ends, I'll tell you, I'll tell you some secrets, but um, sure. I just liked art. So like, <laughs> right. So I wanted to just end our conversation on a few little fun questions. So just so people who's listening, they can, they can get to know you on a um, non-dog scale. Because <laughs> it's all about dogs, isn't it? <laughs> that, there's nothing else. Really. I know, I know. All the time I hear like, my boyfriend says to me all the time, like, maybe you meet some non-dog people. And I'm like, I don't want to be friends with non-dog people. <laughs> what will we talk about? Um, <laughs> what will I talk about? I'll drift off. Um, okay, so coffee, tea, or other beverage in the morning, and how many cups until you're human? Coffee, absolutely. And I I make um, in like a 12-pot cup of coffee, or like a coffee maker with those 12, po- 12 cups, I make eight of those. <laughs> and I have like... The, the biggest mugs I could possibly find. God, are you just yeah. like, just vibrating the whole entire day? No. <laughs> so eight cups of, I actually have a funny story. I made, um, when I went home, it was a number of years ago and I don't have a coffee maker. We use, we usually use a cafetiere or um, instant, like instant coffee. And oh, so there gross. was a, what, sorry? <laughs> it's a little gross. No, I have to buy the good coffee though. So the instant coffee is, okay. is a really good coffee. Um, All right. But it's just because I don't. We have lack of storage in England. Everything is tiny, so um, <laughs> I, I have to. I have to make do. But anyway, cafetiers actually make really nice coffee as well. And if I'm feeling a little fancy, I'll make it out of that. But what is um, this? Is that like a Keurig machine kind of thing? So it's, um, you use the ground coffee beans and then you add hot water and it has this like, so you let it kind of sift for a little bit and then you plunge, you slowly plunge it. So it separates the, the coffee from the coffee beans. Uh, okay. Like, like a French press kind of thing. Yes. A French, but that's the other name for it. Yeah. I just said the, okay. the weird, stupid name. Um, but yeah, exactly. Exactly that. There's also ones that you can put on the stove. So they're like yeah. little pots and yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's the one I, <laughs> coffee is a very big deal with me though. Like I, I, and how do you, how do you make your coffee? So like, what do you put anything in it? Um, I used to do, so I started drinking coffee when I was like 11 <laughs> and, and, and I started because like my parents would, you know, make their, their coffee for the morning and not finish it and then go to work. And it would just be sitting on the, the kitchen table and I'd come home from school and sit down and do my homework and call them mad. This is boring. I'm falling asleep. So I drink their coffee, their, their leftover coffee, but in order to do it, drink it because it was 
I needed to put like a pound of sugar in it. Um, and then slowly over time, I've started just eliminating the sugar. And now, now all I put in it, if I'm putting anything is milk, um, unless I go to somewhere like Tim Hortons, in, in which I, which you probably don't even know what Tim is or you've never had it. Do you? Okay. Um, and in which case then I do get sugar. Their, their coffee is the same. Yeah. I'm just black. I just, I can't, unless I, iced coffee. Yeah. I, I do black sometimes too. I don't like, I don't mind it black, but if I have, I'll take yeah, if I if it's iced coffee for me, I have to have milk and a little bit of like maybe like a fake sugar in it. But if it's just morning coffee, it's like dark. I, yeah, I, I make it. Else. <laughs> I put four like heaping teaspoons of coffee into my my eight cups. Oh my god! But so that's oh that was what I was gonna say is that I went home um and they have you know the Mister Coffee Coffee Maker or whatever and I was like oh I'll be nice. I woke up early. And I was like I'll make everybody coffee, but. I, for some reason, I thought you put like, um, I didn't know how many scoops you put in. So I had the coffee and I like my coffee strong. So I was like, oh, this is quite nice. And then my uncle had some coffee and my mom had some coffee and they kind of took a sip at the same time. And um, they went, oh my God. And so my uncle was like, how much, how much, like, how many scoops did you put in? And I just said 10. And both of them at the same time went 10. And I was like, how many are supposed to put in? They were like, like only a few. I was like, oh my God. So yeah, my, my, my family were like, I don't know, going to have a cardiac arrest or something that day, but I thought it was great. I'd had no idea how many. Times. I've, I've always heard you put one scoop for every two cups of water. You use. Um, I think I was only but supposed I to do, do I do like more. heaping, like heaping scoop. Yeah. So. <laughs> they couldn't drink it. They all watered. I was like, you guys are just weaklings. Like this is yeah. great coffee. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, okay. So you can see through it. It's not coffee. No. Oh my gosh. No, it needs to be deep, dark. Yeah. Um, (laughs) so what would you say is your superpower and why would you choose that superpower? Oh, like actual superpowers? Yeah. Yeah. Like anything you want to choose. Man. Um, moving through walls would be really cool. Like if I didn't need to use doors because (laughs) those are a pain sometimes. I can't believe out of all the things you would just choose, like not, you know, just like a lazy one. (laughs) (laughs) Flying would be neat too. I, I think flying would be super. That would be cool. Yeah. I, I was trying to pick something that's not like everybody's first choice. <laughs> my, my, the first two thoughts that came to my head were invisibility and flying. Yeah. But moving through walls. Is- I suppose so. Yeah. Because you could also get into places. So it's not just about, you know, getting, not opening the door, but you could get in anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I, I changed my mind. That one's a good one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. Which band or artist, dead or alive, um, would you have like do a solo concert for you? Oh, oh, hands down, Blink One Eighty Two. Oh my God, no! What? Okay, so not not the new Blink One Eighty Two. That is not Blink. Um, but like with like with Tom old, and, you know, Travis and Marcus yeah. and yeah, okay. Yeah, like like Dude Ranch days. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Um. Any particular reason? I'm just going to elaborate. Any particular reason on on old Blink 182? Um, well, Tom DeLong is like one of my my heroes. I have um, a tattoo on my arm. It's got the love from his band Angels and Airwaves. It's got the Blink 182 logo in the O of love, and then in the the background is like the the man that was running from his Boxcar Racer album. Yeah. So he's like my man crush. Uh, okay. Um, and so the final one is, um, as a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a chemist. 
actually i was i was super into like um like lord of the rings and the hobbit when i when i was young i had this old really old cartoon version of the hobbit on a movie and gandalf was my favorite and the closest thing to actually being a wizard was being i like how you came up with that um association yeah it's it's like making potions and stuff right did you guys have like um what was him there was a tv show when i was a kid and it was a guy who did um he did like science and stuff not not bill nile but there was another him i can't remember i'm gonna have to google later was it jimmy neutron no no (laughs) professor oh i don't know but did you have any maybe maybe you did have it did you have anything i think it came on nickelodeon or something no, I, I remember Bill Nye for sure. Yeah. I don't remember the other one. He was like a much older, he kind of reminded me of like a, a butch like Mr. Rogers. Um, I can't remember who he was, but he used to make all kinds of cool things. I remember one time they made this rocket and they showed you how to like, um, how to launch the rocket using like all natural, I think it was like baking soda and vinegar or something. Yeah. Um, but that was always interesting. Oh, there was a, um, a show, I don't remember it wasn't on for long. It was like popular mechanics for kids or something like that. And it, it went through a lot of really cool science stuff. Yeah, I don't, that's going to, that's going to, I'm going to have to look it up afterwards. Oh, okay. So you want it to be a <laughs> Gandalf or, okay. Did you want to look like Gandalf as a chemist? I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, like, yeah, sure. Why not? I was absolutely, I'll wear the big pointy hat and long beard and I already have a beard to go longer and be great um and I think then, for yeah, a chemist but... you know that whole and uh, that whole getup of his probably wouldn't do I mean you'd catch something on a Bunsen burner no he's he's the fire wizard he's the wizard of fire he can't catch on fire so. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> I stepped out of line there um <laughs> well Bob thank you so much for your time um and coming on the podcast it's been been really really interesting to talk to you and getting to learn about you and thank you for sharing your you know your kind of tips and your um information about finding a trainer because the more that you know people out there understand how to look for a professional and the more people that get to choose really good professionals it makes our job so much easier yeah absolutely i i I like what i do but i don't want to see any clients that come and say hey look i was working with this other guy and now my dog is like hates me (laughs) yeah those are not the clients i want no not at all but thank you again Well, thank you. I had a great time. Are you looking for your next dog professional, but you're not sure that you have a trainer in your area that you can trust? Or maybe you're not sure where training can fit into your schedule. With my virtual dog training services, you don't need to worry about either of those issues. Virtual dog training is easy, convenient, and best of all, highly effective. You get to train your own dog and you get the information, the guidance, and the support that you need in order to do so. So if you've been looking for your next dog professional, I would love to work with you. To find what services I offer, go to rplusdogs.com.